Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now, the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. Welcome to the Bleachers. I am Jeff Blum, 14-year veteran of Major League Baseball. My good buddy David Tuttle is on the other side. He has played a ton of minor league baseball, and now he is just the captain of statements, the Tuttle of Waddle. He is the man that I talk to across the uh, great expanse of the United States. I'm here in Houston. He is in California, so I am on the third coast. He is on the left coast. And let me just start by saying I hope that everybody has hydrated that is listening to this podcast because judging on a lot of the returns that we've seen uh, and reviews after that last podcast, which actually picked up some pretty good steam over the weekend in recapping the World Series, some key moments in Game 7, some opinions from myself and David Tuttle, a lot of people were extremely upset, and there's still a handful of you that uh, said that you're not going to listen to us for another three months. So enjoy your three months in solitude and not enjoying the competitive banter of David Tuttle and myself as we explore the offseason for a baseball player, for a podcast, as we try and reach into our creativity and ha maybe have a little bit more fun and enjoy the offseason for what it's worth because the regular season, the postseason are over and now baseball is into that quote-unquote hot stove. I don't know if that really makes any sense because there is no hot stove in baseball until about the winter meetings because there's a lot of GM meetings, there's a lot of winter meetings, there's collusion going on that we found out about with the Atlanta Braves, which, <gasps> not shocked, because it goes on all the time. So I know that the union's going to make a big deal out of, out of that, and it's going to be interesting, but we're not going to touch on any of that because you know what happened the other night in the Blum household, now I will remind those of you who are listening and those who are listening for the first time, I'm a father of four girls. David Tuttle has three. Uh, he has three kids, two girls and a boy. And so we kind of share a little bit of that fatherhood of multiples. He has twins. I have triplet daughters. His twins are his daughters. And I, I, my wife has been sick for a good three, four days. It's been terrible. I mean, she is laid up and she is never like this. So it's been kind of rough around the house and I'm trying to get myself back into the home routine and in trying to, you know, in trying to gain momentum in the father of the year stakes that I'm going for here at the tail end of the season, I'm trying to finish strong. There's been a lot on my plate and uh, you know, my wife trying to let her figure out the sickness and get past that. I don't want to ask too much of her. So I've been trying to be Mr. Mom and uh, she has had control of the remote. She's been on the couch laid up, but she's tried to interact a little bit. And through the process of making dinner the other day and doing some dishes and keeping the house clean as possible while she's laid up, uh, I had the misfortune. And I want to know if Tuttle had the misfortune or if he thinks it was a fortunate situation to watch the Little Mermaid special they did where they showed the movie and then it was interactive and then it was part play on stage. What a pile of junk. Man, I was so severely disappointed by that whole thing. And, and it, it's going to lead me into a couple other questions that I have for Tuttle because we talk about some things like music that comes back, how much we enjoy that. But Disney Originals, can we just lay off them? Can we lock them in a vault and say, hey, off limits. We need like a government constitutional law that says once a great car Disney cartoon is made, stop. That's it. You can't make it any better. It sold billions. It did great. 
It's generational. I can show it to my kids. Tuttle showed it to his kids. Why in God's name did we think that bringing Jesse from Full House or whatever his name is and putting him in a chef costume is going to make this better or putting Shaggy out there at the age of 50 in a Britney Spears costume is going to make it better and really sell. Are we that hard up for ideas that we're going to do a play about the Little Mermaid and show the movie at the same time, Tuttle? Sorry, I may have just snapped a little early and maybe I'm taking... God, maybe I'm taking Game Seven out on the Little Mermaid. Maybe you are, Blummer. Hello. What a way to what a way to welcome me in. You did not let me know any of that stuff. I, I appreciate you sharing the personal stuff, and I, and I'm sorry to hear that Corey's sick. I would like to know if you could give me a little more information on 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 what you're referencing because I don't know. Was there a live TV event on the Little Mermaid, and then they added? I, I I'm a little I'm a little out of the loop, so you got to fill me in. Good for you. You should be happy you're out of the loop because all of a sudden I'm sitting there and the girls are gathered around and my wife is turning up the volume and apparently it was a it was a it was a movie screen with the fans and a stage show at the same time. So they had clips of the movie and then it would all of a sudden break into on stage live entertainment and I was beside myself because I thought the movie was great. And I thought they tried a little too hard to bring it on stage and I had no clue why or what they were doing. And I was not entertained. I was just thoroughly annoyed about how it would go back and forth, back and forth. And I had, it was disconnected to me. It was, it was weird. And you should be grateful that you didn't have to watch it. No, it sounds like we're heading into the holiday season because they always do things like that. <laughs> and, and I will say, and this is, this is really funny because I agree with you. Disney, nowadays, everything's digital and they still want to own it. But it was really cool how like Lady and the Tramp or uh, Cinderella or what's the other one thinking of Bambi, those were on the shelf. Like you could buy them and then they wait. It's like on a 10 year rotation. You can't you don't have access to it. You're not overexposed. And then you can, as you said, show it to your kids or your nieces and nephews, and then they can show it to their kids ultimately. So I don't mind bringing back the original cartoons because those the message is good, as you said, and Disney has a has kind of a stranglehold on that marketplace. but to continue to uh, look for revenue streams, I guess, for lack of a better word, and to, to kind of make them something that they are not. I, I will say this as far as Point Break or Top Gun. Whoa, that was weird. Um, I will say the same thing as, as uh, Point Break or Top Gun. It's too soon, people, too soon. Like, you can still watch the original Top Gun and be like, all right, you know, yeah, we know Tom Cruise is five foot three. But he looks like a badass. You don't need to make it. You don't need to make it more than it is. And the original Point Break is the one I, I started watching the remake. It was on HBO one night. It was terrible. It was terrible. And so I think I, I know I've gone out on a limb as usual. But uh, I think to bring your point back home, we're trying really hard to kind of incorporate uh, new revenue streams and new media and new audiences into something that. You know, you're trying to recreate something that just isn't uh, that was original. That's that's not. You don't have the ability to recreate it, and so uh, I can share in your frustration. But I am, I'm glad that I was spared the, uh, the, uh, uh, the watching of I don't know, Little Mermaid stage show movie recreation, whatever it was. Yeah, whatever it was, and I, I'm with you in the sense that I don't, I don't understand the concept or how that was going to be beneficial. You know, the, the stars that were in it, I barely knew because I barely pay attention to some of these things. But I knew Shaggy was in there and uh, he was in latex red leather, which was highly interesting. But it kind of brings up a good point. I'm with you, by the way, 
that I'm, I'm curious to see how the, if Top Gun is a remake or if Top Gun is going to be kind of a spinoff or a later in, um, you know, 20 years later, or might be 30 years later. Uh, but uh, Point Break, man, I'm with you. You cannot replace Keanu Reeves. I am an FBI agent. I mean, there's nothing going to be comparable to what he was doing. And uh, that was highly entertaining. And I think it's it kind of reinforces the music situation because you and I both love some of the rock music and some of the grunge and things like that. We kind of have similar taste in that sense, but we will go watch, I would go watch Alice in Chains. I've gone to watch Journey. I've gone to watch some of these other bands that come back and, and re-emerge and play some of their original tunes to Tuttle's point. And I think that's why music carries a little more value or they get the draw that they do is because they're not trying to enhance or make it better or make it look better or sound better. They're like, hey, this is a great tune we had back in the 80s. We want to bring it back to you. We're going to uh, put together a stage show. Me, me, Nikki Six, Mick Mars, and, you know, and Tommy Lee, we're going to go out there with Vince Neil, and we're going to try and you know, give it one last hurrah. But the reason I'm showing up is because I liked the music before, and I want to hear it again. I don't want to hear some updated you know, keyboard solo of Vince Neil singing you know, something. So that's where it kind of sets in. Do you agree with that in the sense that music has done a better job in in staying with the originality, whereas movies try and enhance? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, again, I think it goes down to revenue streams. And I think what those bands have figured out is if they want to have an, like a farewell tour or a new revenue stream, the way to do that is to tap into the people that enjoyed their music at the beginning. And and that's that's where I think what we're talking about. I even brought up like Lady and the Tramp or Bambi. Like I know, you know, Bambi's gonna lose his mother and it's a very sad deal and it happens at the beginning of the movie but the message in the movie is deep and i remember watching it when i was a kid and it scared me and it was kind of it's kind of like rewatching the wizard of oz i really like the wizard of oz it's a lot less scary now that i'm an adult but i still like to watch the original movie and i think that's what we're talking about we're the we're the get off my lawn crowd now and uh and and watching things that bring you back to a, a better time or something that's a fond memory like when i hear a song and it takes me back to my freshman year in the dorm it's like yeah freshman year in the dorm like you can't beat that as a college student so i think that's kind of what we're talking about we're the we're the grumpy old men in that it's nice to share things with your kids and it's nice to maybe have some of the same experiences or or, or thoughts but uh i think what we talked about before uh, I went to the Iron Maiden concert and I saw a bunch of dads with their 12 year old sons, like on their shoulders, you know, and there was a lot of smoke floating around the auditorium. And I just thought there are certain things that you want to experience and that you might want to relive, but there are certain things that you don't need to drag your kids into. And I kind of feel like this is on the same kind of par as that. Like, yeah, the little mermaid movie. Hey, let's pull out the old DVD of little mermaid and watch that. But we do not have to, like you said, bring back, are you talking about Shaggy, by the way? A little side note: Is that the guy from uh, Scream? You're talking about the the actor that played Shaggy in the movie, or what are we talking about? <laughs> no, the 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 rapper that kind of had that oh. Jamaican accent to him. Oh, you mean Shaggy? You know, Shaggy, yeah. It wasn't. Yeah, no, it was actually Shaggy. It wasn't uh, me. You know uh, that guy? Yeah. You don't know any I of that. Don't know. No, I, I'm just so out of the loop. So I guess that's, that helps me, right? That, that helps me not pay attention yep. to what you're talking about. But I guess the original point is that you're in a house full of uh, five women and you're being held hostage and there you are in the kitchen trying to provide for them and they're forcing you into an environment that uh, that you're not comfortable with. So 
that may be a conversation to have with Corey when she's uh, all well and rested. But uh, yeah, I think music. Oh man, music does it better because they're not trying to um, enhance something or reinvent the wheel. They're trying to give you a taste of what made them popular in the beginning, and I think that's the simple answer. Yep. A little bit of a tangent early on here in Bleacher Blums. Uh, that's what we're good for. And maybe that's what the off season's about because I kind of had an idea in my head and then I just kind of fired it out there and decided to go on a rant before I actually welcomed Tuttle in. But Tuttle, man, how was your weekend? Did you have a good weekend? Are you enjoying the week? Is it going good for you out there West, in the West Coast? Yeah, uh, there's a little uh, sports withdrawal going on in the household. Uh, as I mentioned uh, on previous podcasts, my daughter was way into the Astros and the end of the baseball season. Football is kind of, slowing down we're not really into college football so you get the one or two days a week to watch the nfl and uh yeah i mean sports are kind of wrapping up here before thanksgiving so the 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 fall baseball season and soccer season are ending and uh just kind of making thanksgiving plans and 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 winding down but it's definitely slow in the sports realm so like you said we're uh you and i've had those discussions about how the podcast is going to gear up for the off season, but I hope the, uh, the listeners understand that we're going to bring some, uh, probably some more entertainment value and some less, uh, high stress and analytics, uh, uh, of the baseball season. As you mentioned, the hot stove doesn't really, you know, crank up until the GM meetings and the, and the winter meetings get, get going. So hopefully we're going to, uh, we're going to inter- entertain you guys in many other ways, just like we did uh, regarding Disney and music. Yes, you are definitely going to see a little more of the personality of myself, Jeff Blum, and David Tuttle, who you can reach on Twitter, at RealDavidTuttle. Phenomenal TQOD, by the way, for today. I thought it was really fitting with the with situation that Astro fans have been in. And uh, you got to deal with the pain to be able to move on. And uh, Tuttle's quote of the day is that TQOD. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at RealDavidTuttle. You can find myself on Twitter at Blummer27, also on Instagram at Blummer27, trying to make it easy on you guys to reach out and talk to us a little bit. Uh, We encourage the competitive banter as long as it's in good taste and we keep things civil. If you do want to know more about David Tuttle and actually see his face and hear a little bit of his story, you can go to bleacherblums.com. Just Geek It Solutions has hooked us up with a great website and uh, everything that we have asked of them, they have continued to set up for us and it's been going extremely well. I know a lot of fans have been going over there and checking it out because you can find out more about Tuttle. You can find out more about myself. There are some opportunities to interact with David Tuttle and myself, whether it be on Cameo, whether it be through Twitter, whether it be just by listening to uh, the podcast or going back and listening to some of the archives on there. But one that has been actually doing extremely well, and Tuttle has been doing a good job of getting through some of these emails, is there's a mailbag button on our website at bleacherblums.com where we actually take some questions. And it has been incredibly good here in recent weeks. And we appreciate everybody who's going there and going to our website, checking things out, but also getting to us. So Tuttle, let's get it started with the mailbag, man. What have you got for us this week? All right, well, the mailbag is solid as usual. I wanted to say uh, my kids had access to on their Google Chromebooks at school somehow to uh, people are like, hey, what does your dad do? What does your dad do? And they Googled my name. And in the old days, it used to be, I think there was an engagement picture on there under images way back from my wedding 20 years ago. And then there was some like baseball references, you know, like, oh yeah, minor league guy. And there was some images. Now the Bleacher Blums Tuttle comes up and they got on the Bleacher Blums website at school and had a conversation. Oh, your dad. Hey, he's famous. Look at that. So 
I just wanted to share that the yeah. website the website is actually the first thing that now pops up for uh for me when you search me on the web. So yeah, definitely uh been a positive thing and as you said, to get to know us a little bit better. It's a great place to go do that. The Bleacher Blums website, bleacherblums.com. So regarding the mailbag, this is from John M. I feel like we have some recurring mailbag participants, but they do a really good job of uh of following us and following the topics. So I've only read enough to bring this topic up at a party and pretend I know what I'm talking about. And I think you and I fall into the category with this topic. So, sounds like a good way to start a podcast. That's right. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Let me repeat it so that we get, I've only read enough to bring this topic up at a party and pretend to know what I'm talking about. Let's start a podcast. Um, <laughs> But would love to get the former player perspective about the talks right now of shutting down about 40 minor league baseball teams. What are the pros and cons? Is that mostly domestic or international affiliates? And how does the conversation coincide with the topic of some minor league players getting paid close to nothing those first few years? Um, since I'll get you, I'll give you some time to marinate it since I read the topic ahead of time and just say that, um, there's a little bit of a dichotomy there. That was the word I was going to use. That's a Jocko Willink word. Uh, one is, I think shutting the minor league teams down would obviously create less jobs, but it might improve the quality of the workplace, meaning you could increase some revenue at the teams that are doing well. And you could kind of, um, as they always say about expansion in the big leagues, you know, you could make the parity a little better, meaning you'll have the best players in that pool. You'll get rid of the kind of the fringe players in that in that realm. Um, and then maybe you're able to pay those players a little bit more. So for me personally, it's kind of like, hey, we should have as many minor league teams as possible because then that's more jobs. And then you're going to whittle that down and you're going to have some more um, uh, some more professional baseball players. But in all honesty, if they're doing this, it's probably always follow the dollar signs I've learned. So if they whittle them down, that just means you're going to have less expansion and less kind of teams to watch, but you'll probably have more parity and better players in that pool. And you might be able to pay those players a little more effectively. And if we look at the NFL and we look at basketball, I mean, the NFL has got it down to six or seven rounds now. And obviously those guys get injured at a higher, uh, I think at a higher rate. And then you have basketball and you just have two rounds of the basketball draft every year. And I know there's a less less players obviously per team but i think you're getting you're getting the best players in the world in that pool so the minor league uh was obviously a place where i made a living for about 10 years so i'm not suggesting we get rid of the minor leagues and a lot of development happens with those young players 18 19 year old kids but i think uh if they're gonna pare them down it like I said, follow the dollar signs. So I, you know, like I said, it's, it's mixed feelings in that I spent a lot of time there and that was a good experience for me. But I also feel like I could, if they paired it down by 40 teams, I don't even know how many minor league teams there are. They're probably, you know, 150 minor league teams, I would guess. So it would just make the, uh, the talent pool a little better and, uh, probably less teams to watch and those guys could get treated better. Yeah, I have yet to read articles on this, to be honest. I heard rumors of it. I have a couple of them saved, but I haven't had a chance to go through them. It's a great question, and it does have an impact on a lot of guys. But at the same time, you know, if you if you cut the draft in half, because they keep whittling away rounds, because, you know, usually, it, you know, round 68, and there would be Mr. Irrelevant, down, not Josh Reddick, but Mr. actual Mr. Irrelevant would be the last pick. Uh, you know, Mike Piazza is a guy who comes to mind. But if there's going to – they're – 
the, the, my problem is the opportunity. I want opportunities for everybody to go have the chance to go and try and prove themselves because, you know, if you're a 16, if you're a 17 year old, 18 year old and you get drafted, you know, who knows when you're going to blossom. Maybe you're a late bloomer and you end up at 22 years old. You're a guy that all of a sudden sprouts into a six foot four, 225 Adonis who can rake the baseball. Whereas the four years previous, you were kind of muddling around, didn't really know what your potential was or your ceiling. But, you know, it's interesting to know that they want to take away 40 potential teams and they're already taking away scouts. So there's a lot of eyes who aren't going to be on those teams anyway. So it's kind of interesting, you know, that aspect of it. I do think that it will create a better quality of baseball because you're keeping what's what the scouts that are around think are the best players. But the, you know, independent ball may jump up a little bit and become a little more available. My problem, like Tuttle said, is with the money. If if they're going to do this, there's got to be something in there that says now the from, you know, how much do 40 teams cost? And now we need to allocate that money towards development. And what I mean by development is players and stadiums enhance everything, make everything better, make the pay better. And then obviously we would all be on board for that. But uh, I would have to do a little more research on that. I'm kind of curious to see where that ends up, because if you take 40 teams out that, you know, just say it's 25 guys, you know, that's a thousand guys that uh, are going to be out of a job, let alone cities and complexes, equipment managers, ticket taker, whatever. Even on a small scale, you're losing a ton of jobs, but that's a thousand less opportunities for guys to go out there and try and create their opportunity by playing organized baseball. So it, there's a lot to unfold right there, but uh, 40 teams seems a little aggressive, but I would imagine they'd all be lower tier teams because you want the double AA, A, triple A guys obviously to be there. Yeah, I just looked it up. There's 256 minor league teams. So now that I think about it, 40. Wow. And then we had with the Cincinnati Reds, when I was drafted, we had two short season teams. So we had one in Tennessee mm-hmm. and one in Montana, and those were both short season A ball teams plus three a ball teams so you had a kind of a uh uh cedar rapids iowa so you had a midwest league then you had a sally league team and then you had a high high a team in the carolina league so you know that's five teams of a ball players essentially when i mean it might be a little excessive to be honest with you so i i you know i hate to say that now that i'm out of the game like you know to take away opportunities but to your point, I got to do a little more research as well, but 40 teams out of 256, when you think even a small uh, organization like the Reds had five A-ball teams. Yeah, and, as, and a small organization like that too. I wonder if the owner or GM of a team even pay attention you know, to those guys in those, in those Dominican leagues, uh, f- uh, summer leagues, fall leagues, all these different leagues that are out there. You know, how, at what point, that might be a better question for a GM, is at what point do you start paying attention to a certain guy because out of those 40 teams how many guys are actually labeled prospects because if you're worth a darn you're going to you're going to a ball you're going to you know short season a ball teams i get because the draft is in june you want to be able to finish off the season so you're going to have a short season a ball team but at the same time you know it, it's not until you play a full season at, at an a ball level where you all of a sudden go oh that guy might have a shot you know it's everything until that point is developmental as far as age, mentality, 
uh, physicality and things like that and skill set. You know, that's what the, that's what those lower levels are for. It's basically, you know, you're out there playing and trying to figure out how to get better. And then once you get past that hurdle, then you get into the system. Yeah. And, and, and last point on this, I was just going to say is that that was the advantage I had. I got drafted out of high school. I believe you did as well. Um, but you weren't even a switch hitter. So, you know, you wouldn't have been a switch hitter. Milano made you a switch hitter and that gave you that. But I, I realized coming out as a college player, I got, it was like being in a job interview. I got credit for that experience. They were like, all right, we're going to put you in high A ball right away because we know that you've faced this level of competition for this amount of time. And we know that you can live on your own, for example. You know, I mean, so those little things kind of bypass all those levels. But I think you bring up a great point. If you take away the, the that younger minor league level, say it's the you know the A balls and the short seasons, do you? Th and already we're starting to see a trend, especially in the Astros organization, where they draft they draft college guys because they are more developed physically, mentally, emotionally, and they are getting to the big leagues faster because they're closer at the age of twenty one when they get drafted. Do you think if they take away these minor league teams, these forty minor league teams? Will there be more emphasis on kids going to college, which might not be a bad thing? And that could be their a, a pseudo minor league system. Yeah, I mean, it's a great, it's an excellent question. And I think that's what we're going to have to see as this comes to fruition. Because somebody like Jordan Alvarez, like you said, he kind of came out of nowhere. He's been with three organizations. And all of a sudden now, he's may or may not be 22 years old. That remains to be determined. But 22, 23, 24-year-old guy that really kind of came from the woodwork. And I think what they're looking at is, is, is the, is the squeeze worth the juice, right? Do we want to have five a ball teams to find one Jordan Alvarez, or do we want to watch guys play at Arkansas and Florida and Miami and Cal and Stanford and these schools and say, all right, now we can see, you know, the pool is much easier to pick from when you've seen these guys perform at the highest level. So you know, obviously that remains to be seen, but I think but all those are, uh, uh, it was a great question to start a good dialogue regarding, you know, what they're, what it's going to look like in the future. All right. Next question, Amy E. Uh, and some of these aren't always questions, but here we go. This one, I really like this. A few podcasts back, y'all talked about your parents watching you play. I love the idea of y'all having them on the podcast during the off season. I'd also love to hear from your wives. Jeff talked about Corey watching him play in a pretty relaxed manner, and I'm curious if she's same with if she is the same with the girls. I'm wondering if it feels different when it's your kid. My son was a runner and a mascot, so I can't fully relate. I definitely timed every lap and was a little stressed with each with each exchange of the baton. For the record, mascotting wasn't stressful at all. <laughs> Anyways, I enjoy your podcast and look forward to more episodes. Um, hi, also Jeff for reference, but not necessary. Oh, anyway, I'll tell you that later. She's seen you around the stadium before. So her husband <laughs> looks like a pirate. Oh, yeah. Oh, ah. okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think, yeah. I think I know I who Amy is. The yeah. there. You and better know who she fan? is. No, I'm kidding. Anyway, but back to what? No, I, I know, I know exactly who this is. She's actually been at a couple of events. She's a great, great person, great fan. And I want to encourage everybody. There's been, I've, I've seen some tweets where people are at the stadium. Oh, I saw you from a distance, but I, I was too scared to come over and say, good grief. Come over and say hi. Just don't touch my hair. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's, my, that's my best John Travolta. Hey, don't touch my hair. 
<laughs> oh man, you never know what you're going to get. That was pretty funny. Uh, but uh, yeah, come over and say hi. It's great. Usually the conversations go extremely well. And of course, we got to be able to take a selfie. But I like the idea of bringing in um, if, if my mom, my mom isn't exactly technologically savvy. So you may have to wait a while till I get to see her in person again to actually have an interview with her. But uh, yeah, I've had some ideas and Tuttle and I are continuing to have conversations off air about what we want to do with this podcast and how we can have a little fun over the off season and maybe mix it up a little bit. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely have the idea of asking my wife some of those questions because yes, we are, you know, we are, I have a sophomore, three freshmen, so we're getting to that point where the competition level is great in volleyball. They all play volleyball. The competition level is great, and there's and there's uh, not consequence, but there's potential, I guess, for what could be in the future. And you got to take it a little more serious. So there's a little more uh, impact on when, how they play, when they play, and what it means when they play. So. Yeah, I think that'd be a fun conversation because, you know, I'm not sure, you know, my experience with how my parents watched my game in high school is different than how I watch my daughters who's on varsity in volleyball. That it's, I watch her games differently with a little more of a open mind and a little more of a positive mind than I think that even my dad did not to get too deep. No, I'm with you. I, I, my dad was highly intense. We touched on that last time when he watched and I had to have a couple conversations with it, with him about, you know, how that uh, translated into being a fan or a, a supporter of my teams. But uh, just, just to ask you to kind of get into a little finer detail with this, it says, I wonder if it feels different when it's your kid. Um, I think I'm pretty good about it. And I, I do see the parents that stand out and you're like, hey, hey, you know, I continually to talk now remind you that my, my most athletic daughter is only 10 years old, but I talk to her about... Mm -hmm. Uh, intensity and effort uh, since she's out there anyway, but I rarely talk to her about the result because I feel like the result will be fine if the intensity and the effort's there. So I will get frustrated. And again, she's nine, you know, just turned 10. The effort often is, you know, awesome at this end and not so great at this end or awesome for a half an hour and not so great for 10 minutes. And it's kind of like I, I'm, you know, we're baseball players, the consistency of effort is really the thing that I talk to her about, but I'm not screaming that out from the sideline every second either. I'm going to talk to her in the car on the way home or talk to her about what separates good athletes from great athletes and things like that. And I think that's the best support I can give her. And all honesty, if she doesn't get a scholarship to college or if she doesn't play sports beyond you know next year or whatever it is, I don't care as long as she's happy. And I think that's what most parents honestly think but sometimes they get wrapped up in it. And I'm just curious when you go to watch your daughters play volleyball, obviously you're clapping at points and you're cheering them on and, you know, hopefully being a, being a supportive dad, but what's, how would you describe your style of watching your daughters play at a higher level? Oh, it's, it's actually a little more subdued. I do cheer for the team. I try not to be specific and go Mia every time she's out there. She, she's extremely good. She's a sophomore, so I kind of, you know, the playing time is a little bit of an issue. I just have to sit back and go, okay, she's a sophomore. She's got two more years. But I I am much like you where in watching sports, and this was highly apparent in the World Series, is you can't control the outcome, but you can control the practice. You can control the work ethic. You can control your attitude. And that's where I kind of try and emphasize you're going to get out of it what you put into it. 
And it kind of goes into schoolwork too, or if you work your tail off or you study your brains out, what happens the next day? And I've had this with every single one of my girls where they complain, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And I'm like, watch, I go this test, buckle down, study, do what you need to do. Find a way just to get the information in your skull. They take the test, they come back and it's an 85. And I'm like, Did, were you expecting to get an 85? And they're like, no, I didn't. I, I studied and I got it. It was great. And all of a sudden you see the excitement. It's the same thing in sports for me. If you go out and work, are you working the right way? Are you practicing the right way? That's why, you know, uh, you know, I don't get a chance to watch the practices anymore. In club, I get to watch them a little bit more. And, uh, you know, before in middle school, I got to watch some of the practices. But I, I watch the practice probably more intently than I do the game because the game is the fun part. The practice is unfortunately the work part, but if you work hard enough and practice hard enough and, and, and well enough, you're going to have good matches. The result may not be the way you want, but like you were saying, Tuttle, if at the end of the day, you went out there and blew it out, gave me a hundred percent, knew that you took your best shot, knew that you were in the right position, knew that you were prepared. That's all I'm going to ask of you. We can talk about how the result kind of could have been altered if you maybe tipped the ball instead of smashed it into the block, or if you maybe took a different angle in, in driving that ball into the uh, into the court. If you went towards the corner, you know we talk about risk of play and things like that. But I'm I'm a guy that's like I'm cheering, and if my daughter, even if she's not prepared, gets uh, you know surprised by a, a, a ball or she doesn't hit the ball the way she wants. And I understand the effort probably wasn't there. I'm not the guy who's like, buck up, let's go, step up. You know, I'm, I'm the guy that says, next ball, we're moving on. I'm not going to sit there and dwell on the fact that you weren't ready for that. I'm like, hey, it happened. It's over. Let it go. Move on to the next one. I just don't want to see it perpetuate. I, you know, I'm the, I'm the, when I say next ball, it's kind of a volleyball word they use. But it's like, next play. Let's go to the next play. How do we make the next play better? Because we can't control what's beyond, behind us either. Spoken like a true baseball player. And what I hear in that conversation is a future volleyball coach. <laughs> you, you, got, you got all the lingo, the tap, the block, the smash, next ball. I mean, like, holy cow. But, uh, I mean, most athletics are like that. And I think you and I both agree. Like, looking in the rearview mirror does you no good unless you learn from it. So. Yeah. And you're going to, and failure is not a bad thing. That's another thing I try to encourage a lot of athletes that I do talk to and a lot of, and especially my kids, even if they fail a test, I'm like, all right, so what? And especially this day and age where you can actually retake the test. I'm like, Hey, you sucked. So what? You don't, you're not going to suck again. You're going to get better and you're going to move on. And if you don't get better, that's on you. I do that, especially with uh, the academic side. My son is a, a fairly bright, but he's had a couple advanced classes where the first test always punches him in the mouth. Yeah. And, and what I tell them, it's not even about the material or the knowledge. It's almost about learning how to take a test from this specific teacher. This year, he's got a, an honors uh, biology teacher who is tough. And, you know, the first test, like I said, knocked him for a loop. The next test, he did significantly better. And I expect it to continue to improve because, as you mentioned, that's the mentality that we seek. Hey, learn how to take a test from this specific teacher it's like having a job, like, you know, you have a boss and your boss changes or you have a new manager and the manager's different. It's our job as I want to say the underling, but as the employee or the student to learn how to adapt and adjust to that, uh, to that environment. And I think you and I definitely wholeheartedly agree on that. So we got two more questions from the mailbag. Uh, this one I thought was excellent. This is from Colin. I don't think it's Colin McHugh, but if it is Colin, shout out to you. Yeah. Uh, 
Good evening, Blummer and Tuttle. In Ken Rosenthal's recent article on The Athletic, he states that Boris clients typically go to the highest bidder. Shocking, I know. It reminded me of another Athletic article about the transfer window in European soccer where some players admitted they were told by their agent where they were going to play based on money and money alone. In some cases, the player ended up not being happy playing for the highest bidder because they did not fit well with the club's culture, system, and or style of play. In Major League Baseball, how much input do agents have with players? Will agents flat out tell the player they're signing with the highest bidder regardless of which team? Or after fielding offers and talking a player through their options, will most agents advise the player to go to the best fit even if it isn't always the highest bidder? And this is where I think that dichotomy we heard. That's why I wrote that down. But anyway, fire away. No, agents definitely have an impact. And obviously, the more the player gets paid, the more the agent gets paid. And that's ultimately what it is. It's all about the dollar signs. But the secondary issue is for the player to actually have the courage to stand up and say, this is this is not a good situation for me. I don't want to be here. I don't like the city, whatever it may be, whether his wife had a bad experience in this city and doesn't want to go back. You have to take some of these things into account. And I think baseball is a little bit different. I don't know how Boris is, but I know for a fact, my agent who is uh, with WMG, uh, it was Arne Tellum before that. And, uh, you know, Joel Wolf is my agent. He was a fantastic human being. And I wasn't a guy who was going to go out there and garner the multi-year, multi-million dollar contract. I was a guy that was going one-year contract, a one-year contract. But that left, that left a lot of opportunities for me to decide where I wanted to go because, you know, maybe I had limited offers. I remember specifically the first year I signed with uh, San Diego, I took a considerable pay cut in 2005 because I wanted to be on the West Coast. I had just had an awful experience in Tampa Bay. I had an offer on the West Coast. Obviously, I lived in about 45 minutes north of San Diego, so it would be convenient. My wife was pregnant with triplets. There was All hell was breaking loose. And I had a better offer in Philadelphia. And Philadelphia was actually going to be a phenomenal fit for me as far as being a utility guy in that organization and winning. Uh, you know, that was in the mid 2000s as they were about to go on their World Series runs. And, you know, la literally last second, I called my agent. I go, I'm going to agree to Philadelphia un unless San Diego guarantees the much, much less offer for me to go to San Diego. And sure enough, he calls me back. And I mean, it's a it's a great story, actually, just on a personal level that I should tell someday, but uh, San Diego, Kevin Towers guaranteed the contract. I took the San Diego offer. The rest is history. But uh, another example is Jose Altuve, a Boris client. When he signed his big deal with the Houston Astros, it, we, as soon as he signed it, I said, man, this is a bargain. And you don't say that too often with Scott Boris, but I believe, and even Jose Altuve to his credit came out and said, I love Houston. I want to be in Houston. My daughter was born in Houston. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to fade into the sunset as a Houston Astro. So he took a, not a considerable pay cut. He still got paid a great deal of money, but definitely not what he was worth at that current moment. But uh, there are situations where the player can interject and say, no, this is where I want to go. This is what I want. Yeah. And I think the stronger the agent is, I think the other factor that's not mentioned in this is the players association, right? So I, I see you giving me the thumbs up. True. I mean, the players very, association. Very true. So all these deals kind of get thrown into the pile. And if you're taking a hometown discount to an extent where you're going to affect, I guess, average annual dollars or average annual contract for other players of your ilk or your caliber, 
then there's going to be uh, probably some further discussion behind the scenes. And maybe you have some experience with that, or you know a little more about that than I do. But I think, you know, there's only certain people that can get away with, you know, maybe like Tony Gwynn, somebody like that, that uh, everybody knows is a Hall of Fame superstar baseball player that wanted to stay in San Diego and stay near home. So the Players Association could kind of forgive that, for lack of a better word. Obviously, Tom Brady in the NFL has a wife who makes a, an exorbitant amount of money and is able to take hometown discount and not really affect a whole lot of things. But I think if you're you know, getting to free agency and you've busted your hump to get to that point, the Players Association will have something to say about that. Is that correct? No, they absolutely do. The uh, The Players Association knows exactly which offers are on the table and which offers are, are going to be accepted and things like that. So they, they, do, they don't step in. But they definitely want to go in there and and enhance the market. And if you're taking below market value, then you're hurting the market. And that's where the union steps in because they do they want to see the market continue to grow. And if you're, you know, in my case, they were okay with me taking the discount because obviously I'm not going to push the market as far as utility guys are concerned. Those those opportunities are out there. Those guys are going to get those contracts. But the big time guys, whether it be 30, 40 million a year, those are the guys that get pushed a little bit more and maybe leaned on a little bit more because they're trying to create revenue. Awesome. That's, that's exactly what I thought. All right, last question. This one's fun. Marcus C. And uh, I did not prep you for this, Blum. So uh, be careful. You, you might not want to... No, because sometimes people don't want to give away the secrets. So this is really funny. Marcus C., Blummer, what is your favorite restaurant in Houston? Where would you take Tuttle, assuming he hasn't been there? And now people are going to hunt for you and the fam damly there. You got to be careful. <laughs> no. Yeah. It, well, for, first of all, I mean, the easy answer is St. Arnold's Beer Garden. Yes. And did you get paid <laughs> to say that, sir? <laughs> uh there, there might be a slim chance that I'm getting paid in a six-pack by saying that, go. yes. Okay. No, but... It, the, if and well, I would. I'm saying when Tuttle gets out here, we'll, we will have a live podcast at St. Arnold's. We're going to make that happen somehow. They they they've been asking me for uh, months to have us out there and record a podcast. So St. Arnold's Beer Garden, obviously, uh, uh, you know, uh, oh man, El Tiempo is a great uh, Mexican restaurant. My daughters, I, I've indoctrinated them, and this one will probably create a lot of uh, a lot of controversy. Is uh, Chewy's for Tex-Mex. Love Chewy's. Uh, they've got this jalapeno ranch sauce that, I, I mean, you could, man, I could almost said something really bad. You could dip anything in it and I'd eat it. I but. You. <laughs> yes, you can deep fry anything and dip it in jalapeno yeah. ranch sauce and it tastes incredible. Yeah, yeah so, I, got you. So that, I love that place. It, it's a lot of fun. It's a good atmosphere. But, uh, you know, there's a place out in Simonton called Antonio's. Uh, or Anthony's, it might be Anthony's, I should know it, but I don't go out there often enough, but it's a great vibe, good barbecue. They have a bunch of uh, different styles of dishes, but a great outdoor patio for me is really a great place for me to go. But those are, you know, as far as overall, uh, you know, Chewy's, El Tiempo, and um, and St. Arnold's are definitely the go-tos if I have the opportunity. There's a great burger place out here too that I know that you'd enjoy because they have a lot of really good local craft beers. It's called Hop Dottie. And uh, they have great restaurants. And I think it's actually a California uh, company that uh, kind of came out here, but they have really good stuff too. Is if I'm in a rush and I need a good burger and a good brew, they have that at uh, Fashion Island, actually, which is so funny. Hop Dottie. Yeah. And I've been there and it's quite tasty. So yep. uh, 
There you go. But I thought it's funny because they'll say their headquarters in Austin, but I think you're correct. I think it was a couple California guys that started it back in Austin and then they got a few locations out here. But uh, you're, you're, you're hitting all the right buttons because I, I'm not a huge uh, fancy restaurant guy. I'd much rather go to a place. I think there's Chewy's in Arizona. I think I've tried uh, Chewy's, mm -hmm. but uh, you know, a good Mexican place. There's got to be a bunch of great Mexican food in Houston, and uh, I'm up for it. Yeah, there definitely is, and I think that is going to do it for the mailbag. And since we're done with the mailbag, I thought it'd be kind of interesting. I got this idea. Tuttle knows this guy. His name's Aaron Gordonier. And since we just did the actual mailbag where you mail in your your questions, why not talk about your, the other mailbag, the M-A-L-E bag? And support for Bleacher Blums comes from Manscaped. Everybody loves Manscaped. They are the number one uh, in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for the family jewels. And they've got a great travel kit that includes their Lawnmower 2.0. It has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your junk pile. But uh, we want to give a shout out to Manscaped. They have supported us over the last couple of months. And if you go to manscaped.com and enter the code BLUMS, B-L-U-M-S, you can get 20% off and free shipping when you use that code at manscaped.com. Nice. I'd love to follow that up with uh, some Weddle Tuttle Say. What do you think? I think it's a good idea because don't panic. This has been a great podcast. This is all good vibes, good feeling, good convo, good questions on mailbag, a little lunacy with the little mermaid, but we are going to we're just going to just avoid the a word in this podcast and get to what'll tuttle say. What'll tuttle say? All right, got a couple things today. A little rant for you. Um, I tweeted this out last night, and uh, Blummer caught it on the uh, the old Twitter verse. But uh, NBA, yuck! And yes, I got a little <laughs> heat because because I got a little heat when uh, I tweeted out the fact that I'm not enjoying the NBA watching when everybody knows that I'm a pretty strong Warriors fan, and the Houston Rockets finally got over the hump and. Uh, beat the Warriors, um, but uh, but that's not what I was yucking about. I was yucking about the fact that uh, Kawhi Leonard, who they're trying to say is going to take over LeBron's throne as the uh, best player to go, is uh, ten seven games into the season. He's on his second rest day. He's twenty eight or twenty nine years old. He's resting already. There's no Paul George, and the reason he came to the LA Clippers is that he's taking selective rest days. So. This is a funny stat I heard yesterday. LeBron James is playing an all-time, 17 years in the NBA, an all-time record low in minutes per game is 35 minutes per game. So he's always played more than that, but this year he's playing 35 minutes a game. Kawhi is now playing, even though when he played the San Antonio Spurs as well prior and then the Raptors, he's playing at an all-time minutes per game high. He's 29 years old of 34 minutes per game. So Kawhi Leonard's playing more than he's ever played this early in the season, maxing out his minutes at 34. LeBron's playing at an all-time low of 35, 17 years in. So that'll tell you all you need to know about the NBA. Um, there's no Kevin Durant, no, so no KD. He's out Achilles. No Steph Curry. He broke his wrist. 
no Paul George, who's a superstar, no Clay Thompson. I know three of those guys are, you know, warriors, but they're all kind of dispersed now. None of these guys are playing. And on top of that, they've added replay. I watched last night, I watched the end of the Warriors Raptors game. I'm sorry, the Warriors Rockets game. Sorry, Rockets fans. I watched the end of that game. It was 17, anywhere from 17 point lead to a 21 point lead for the Rockets with about eight minutes left in the game. I saw three replays. It's a 21 point game. I saw a replay about a flagrant, a replay about whether he was behind the three point line. And then they, you're allowed to challenge whether it's an offensive foul or I saw three replays. I am like, Oh, so hopefully we can get back to the NBA playoffs, but uh, yuck. The NBA was terrible. It's terrible to watch. So uh, please convince me that it's going to be, it's going to get better. And I, and I, and not just to harp on the NBA because we know the NFL now there's, they're throwing challenge flags on every PI and none of us getting overturned folks that listen to this for the baseball content should understand, watch a little NBA, watch a little NFL and tell me that you still want an automated strike zone. Uh, Blummer, I forgot. You also sent me the video of the Arizona fall league from baseball America, the video of the ball bouncing in the dirt and the guy getting a rug up and him like looking anyway, we're just heading down a dark, dark path for these, uh, these high level sports. I got a quick question for you, Tuttle, who, how, how do they, re, how do they replay review in the NBA? Is the coach have a challenge? Is it, is it the ref? Is it, you know, what is it? You know, it's funny. It's a good question. I'm not really sure because I think there's a bunch of different, you know, obviously the same rule that we had in the past was the under two minutes, right? If it's under two minutes, it goes to the thing. It's always the referees walking over to the table. I do believe it's a coach now has two challenges or something like that. I'm sure we'll get corrected on Twitter or by the next podcast, I'll have looked it up, but they do have some challenges throughout the game to challenge uh, when they're above that two minutes, very similar to the NFL. But I mean, challenging a travel versus a charge or, you know, I mean, it's like, ugh. are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah, it's, could it's, you, could it's, you imagine challenging every, every travel? No, I mean, I, I, it's already, anyway, I, I, I will say this. I was never a soccer fan. My daughter playing more soccer. I'm watching it. But the cool thing about soccer, even when there's an injury, the clock just runs. You can add injury time, but the clock just runs. You don't have any challenges. You don't have anything. They are doing VAR now for goals, but that's a really easy, you know, technology. It's similar to tennis. It's like a very well, and how how many shots are on goal, and you know that are that close to check, anyways. Exactly. So, and they are doing some offside checks, and there's there's a couple of times where they slow it down, but it's all based on very similar to tennis. The ball was either in or it was out, and that's I think I'm okay with that. It's not an interpretable like, oh, well, he was tugging on his shirt, but the other guy was tugging on his shirt too, and so then, oh, was the ball in the air? It wasn't. Anyway, just. You know, these things happen in split seconds. Everybody that listens to this podcast knows I'm a proponent of sticking with the human element as much as possible. I mean, I think that's part of what's been great about sports over time. And I continue to tell my daughter this, who plays a lot of sports, as we mentioned, the referee is not out there. The umpire is not out there trying to hose you. Uh, do they make mistakes? And when you're getting paid for a living to do this, you can have a little more beef with the umpire, as we've seen in baseball. I give you that. But when you're a nine-year-old kid blaming the fact that you struck out that the ball was six inches outside, he's going to call that the same for both teams. Shut up, sit down, play the game, hit the ball when it's you know when you can, and you know I mean we can just make this so simple. Yeah, and the whole thing behind replay, the way I understand it, is we want to 
to you know the integrity of the game we want to instill the integrity of the game now are you willing to sacrifice some integrity for entertainment because it's not entertaining to upkeep the integrity of the game because you're going to the replay every single play you know that's where you're walking that fine line and it feels like the nba and the nfl with the uh, you know the offensive pass interference calls, you know the, or the pass interference calls, just period, have really created a lot of frustration. And as far as the NBA is concerned, they've always prided themselves on on the drama, the storylines, and the action. Now you're cutting into the action. Is that really what you want to do? And now you're rest days? Are you freaking kidding me? Dude, I mean, I wonder what Larry Bird would feel about a rest day because all of a sudden you're taking my legacy away because the more I'm on the court, the more I'm going to score, the better legacy I'm going to have. And now you you stop play for replay. You're cutting into the action. You're creating rest, rest days for your best players in the league. Guess what? Am I going to spend $150 to go to watch a game where I know Kawhi Leonard's not going to play or he's going to play limited time? That's not a return on the value in the system. So I, I worry about the investment now at the NBA. They're always going to create excitement. It is a, an exciting sport. The athletes are incredible, but I feel like those things are going to start pulling away. I already had an issue watching the NBA because, you know, the skill has changed where you don't drive the lane, you shoot the three, there's minimal defense. Anyways, that's a whole other Pandora's box to open. But if we're talking about replay and kind of winding it back to baseball, which we try and do in this podcast and, you know, the NFL has, has all kinds of issues with the pass interference. What, 15% of them get overturned, so why even look at it? Now it's, you know, John Gruden's freaked out, and, uh, you know, he, he's gone chucky on the pass interference, so it's kind of become a mockery in itself. But this is what happens when you start to open everything up to replay. You open yourself up to more scrutiny and less gameplay, so... Hopefully baseball is watching and the replay situation calms down a little bit because uh, the strike zone thing that we talked that Tuttle talked about, I think there's a three or four second delay right now between knowing when the ball is a strike or a ball and that adds time. That's downtime. And again, ball bouncing in the dirt called a strike. That ain't going to be any kind of fun. Not at all. And, uh, you know, I, I just wanted to add to the thought that I, and like you said, maybe this is a, a Pandora's box and this will get us into a whole nother topic for another podcast. But I, I want to say that I find, and I've found this with my peers and my friends and the guys that I hang out with as well. They don't really watch baseball until the playoffs and the playoffs, as we've said, are pitching and defense. It's a style of baseball. That's really comfortable and the high leverage and high intensity is there. Hockey's the same thing. I love watching playoff hockey, playoff basketball, is a lot more like old school basketball. They kind of let you get away with some things. There's a, you know, a, a little more physicality and a little more intensity as we've seen before. And I think sometimes that's why the Warriors have had trouble is they play that finesse style, a lot of threes, and then they, they don't get away with the same kind of uh, teams that guard them and pull their shirts and knock them down. They're not calling it the same as they do in a 70 game season. And so you, I like, I actually like the physicality and the hockey and basketball and baseball with the pitching and defense. And of course the NFL, I mean, th those, the playoffs kind of bring us back to what we remember as either a kid or growing up or what the sport really is. And so maybe that's what we're doing. We're going to lose audience until we get to the playoffs and all these major sports, because I'm finding that that's the game that I like. And that's the game that I miss for all of these sports. I like that playoff atmosphere and I like that style. You know what it just reminded me of? 
and you you're right about the playoffs i'm the same way with the nba the nhl i will and you know i will i love watching college basketball because those guys are more invested in it and so same with football but we we like watching other sports that maybe we don't watch the regular season but we like watching the playoffs number one because of the intensity but uh maybe we like self-pain because I just it just popped in my head listening to you talk about that, how we'll watch those other sports in the playoffs because and the big word that jumped out to me was physicality and we like adversity. I like to see other teams in adverse environments because what happens when you're in an adverse environment where you're uncomfortable? You get to see guys perform at their best and maybe overcome that adversity to become champions and win win these games. You overcome the refs, you overcome the physicality, and you win the games. Or you see guys crumble. You also like to see the train wreck. Sometimes you see guys hit the wall of adversity, they implode. So that, that wow, okay. Now I know why I like to watch the playoffs. I like the adversity of it. Yeah, the adversity and the intensity. And uh, you know, I, I got something I'll say for the next what will Tuttle say, but, uh, but that that's it, and I and I believe that uh, we're not we're not the get off my lawn guys as as much as I like to think that we're just uh, we're just old school sports fans, and I think the replay is really kind of intertwining itself and making it such a part of the lexicon and such a part of the modern day sports that uh, that I, it you know we have to be careful what we wish for exactly. And what we wish for is that you go to bleacherblums.com because we are going to try and get some more swag out there for you. But a big help in getting some of those T-shirts and some of that swag out there for you. Who is it, Tuttle? Yeah, CrushCityTees.com is the place to go for custom H-Town baseball tees. They've been with us since the beginning. I mean, they're the ones that helped us. Uh, we got our logo out there, and then they helped us get the shirts all made. Uh, we're hoping to, like you said, create some new swag here in the offseason and uh, – we're still waiting on those hats, but we're working hard at that. Uh, they have a direct-to-garment machine that makes your idea a reality with no minimums, no setup fees, and unlimited colors. They also provide embroidery, screen printing, design and printed in Houston, right there on the third coast, crushcitytees.com. That's the place to be. And uh, go to bleacherblums.com to get your Crush City Tees and your Bleacher Blums Tees there. They are high quality. I enjoy wearing them quite frequently around the house when I'm doing all kinds of uh, daddy duties or honey-do list, uh, however you explain it. But a guy who has been putting in some overtime, a guy who has been really working it as far as the numbers, crunching the analytics, looking for winners, because he is a winner. It is David Tuttle and his Don't Bet On It segment where he has been flying pretty high. Absolutely. I know this sounds a lot like the same as the Waddle Tuttle guy, but, uh, you know, here I am again. So the Don't Bet On It segment, we were two out of three again. So I can't, I mean, you know, I haven't, I haven't had an all-loser week or I'm just going to jinx myself, right? Jinxes are for the week. I've, I, I've won uh, a couple three out of threes, but uh, two out of three seems to be pretty darn good. So last week, just to remind you folks, we took Virginia Tech plus 16 and a half against the Golden Domers, and uh, they almost pulled that out. Virginia Tech was up late in that game, but uh, they were tied at halftime on a fumble recovery, 99-yard touchdown, and I was feeling pretty good even at halftime when it was 14 to 14, and I had Virginia Tech plus 16 and a half. We got that one. We also got the Eagles playing the hapless Trubisky Bears. 
Oh my God, Trubisky doesn't Ooh. want to see any criticism. Oh, it's gonna. It's gonna he's, <laughs> oh yeah, don't listen to yeah, this podcast. Did, well, no, he's just about to get an avalanche of criticism all over. And you heard that he was trying to turn off the. Uh, oh oh yeah. my God, you and I talk about this Come all on, the time man. in a press conference. Like, don't let him in. Just oh no, I don't. Don't and they and they they are all in now. Uh, Trubisky is gonna wear, especially in Chicago, man. You know as well as I do the history in Chicago. They come after you when you say no. Yeah, they put a ladder on his shoulder and they're climbing in his ear right now as we speak. So I got the <laughs> Eagles, Eagles minus Eagles minus three. So we won that one. Virginia Tech plus sixteen and a half. Eagles minus three. Ooh, the lowly Titans let me down. I had them plus four and a half. I think against Jacksonville and that did not go our way. But uh, that's all right. I got three more for you this week. Please, uh, Blummer always sells this really hard. The analytics, the numbers, all that stuff. Not a lot of analytics go into this, but the numbers are important. I'm going to take uh, San Jose State plus seven and a half. A little bias there. They're going out to Hawaii. Nobody ever wins in Hawaii. Ooh. But San Jose State, man, they've found a way. And I think because they're coming from the left coast, they just have to go, you know, a little, little six-hour journey out there. I think they'll give Hawaii all they can handle. I got San Jose State plus seven and a half or eight, depending on which sports book you're looking at and here are my two favorite stinkers of the week you're gonna have to take the Bengals plus 10 against baltimore who just beat new england Ooh. and you're gonna have to take the dolphins plus 11 so <laughs> how, many times, how, I mean, how, how many times have you picked the dolphins i think this will be the third time and they're two for two <laughs> last week they won i think outright and i think the buffalo bills game remember that was they had plus 17 against the bills so the Dolphins seem to be my favorite hapless uh, loser winner because they're getting so many points every week. This is the NFL, by the way. You know that. And they got Ryan Fitzmagic quarterbacking. I mean, come on. Bank Dolphins plus 11. And, and don't, don't bet, on, bet it. on it. And it, another fantasy football update for Tuttle and I. We won again. We came back and uh, won pretty handily last weekend. We are atop. We got a two-game lead. We're facing uh, one of the second-place teams this week, but uh, we had some interesting roster moves that we had to make because I believe it's New England that has the week off. So I think, I moved, I think we moved Emmanuel Sanders into the wide receiver spot for Julian Edelman, and then we dropped the ghost hunter, Sam Darnold, for Drew Brees. We got Drew Brees back. Woo! How clutch was that? I can't believe that. Drew Brees was on the waiver wire in our league. I, I think we just lost our credibility. We're winning the league by two games, but Drew Brees was on the waiver wire. So, folks, that'll tell you all you need to know about the guys that we're, uh, that we're up against. Yeah, it, so we have now Tom Brady, Tom Brady and Drew Brees on, uh, on, our, uh, on our fantasy team, and uh, that's always a good place to be. I think T.Y. Hilton's still hurt, but he's on our bench. We have A.J. Green, who looks like he may never play again. So, I mean, holy cow. But – Josh Jacobs, solid. Pittsburgh's defense last week, solid. So we're, uh, you know, we're making some, uh, we're making some headway. But the fact that you uh, co-GM this week, but you were the, you were the one that saw Drew Brees on the waiver wire. The fact that we picked him up is like, you know, I mean, that's all we, that's all the folks need to know about the kind of fantasy league yeah, we're in. We we have taken the heart out of it. We're just going out there and stepping on people's throats. I'm surprised we haven't heard anything in the, in chat rooms on our fantasy. Maybe they're too scared because maybe we'll be really good at that too because I always say it on our broadcast. If you get two hits, go get three. If you get three hits, go get four. If you're winning and you're crushing, get greedy, man. Go out there and get it. But we had Drew Brees to start the season. I can't believe he's back in our arms again. So reunited, and it feels so good. And that's going to lead us into Blum and Blummer. Huh. 
expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. And Jeff Blum's full of shit, man. And it is the off season, and you know this is something near and dear, obviously, to Tuttle and I, baseball and the lifestyle. And what a lot of people may not know, or maybe you've heard hints of it, and about the offseason for professional athletes. Now, I use that term loosely because when you're in the minor leagues, the only thing professional about it is that you do receive a paycheck. And in the minor leagues and in the big leagues, you only get paid six months out of the year. Obviously, big league paychecks can, can withstand a year's worth of living. A minor league paycheck over six months ain't going to cut it. So when you come home in the offseason, you're either living off your bonus that you got from being drafted so highly uh, that was not the case for me. I'm not sure how it was for Tuttle, but I'm going to tell you everybody at home right now that I have had a, 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 sever, a plethora of jobs in the offseason. When I was at Cal, I, I got drafted in 94, and for the next four years, I played minor league baseball before getting called up. And every offseason, I would come home. Obviously, I'd focus on baseball, staying in shape, working out, getting ready for the next season. But I needed income, man. And I would go from bartender to stock boy at local various warehouses around uh, Berkeley. I was I worked at a major shoe store out there. I would put shoes on people and smell their smelly feet, lace them up and try and sell them shoes. I would unload big rigs of sporting equipment and load up the stock in the back rooms constantly. It, that was highly adventurous because there was one that had this this rolling track that was maybe about like at a 30 degree angle and uh, you would put the it was the width of a pallet and it was kind of subterranean so that the rig would park at the top put the pallet on the rollers and pew, it would just go rolling for about 200 yards so you can only imagine the the ingenuity and imagination that uh, me and some of my coworkers had as far as riding the pallets, surfing the pallets, and whatever may whatever you know may happen happen down that. But uh, one of the higher stress jobs I had, and one of the ones I remember most, is I worked at a UPS loading facility in 1994, 95, maybe. But it started at 9 p.m. and ended around one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, and I would basically be in a an eighteen you know a, a eighteen wheeler rig, and they would bring that chute that that conveyor belt into the truck, and it would just start pumping, pumping boxes, man. And all of a sudden, it turned into the biggest game of Tetris you've ever seen in your life, where they they teach you how to build these walls of boxes so that they can transport them to the various people across the country. And I mean, this thing was relentless. And it would be big boxes, little boxes, heavy boxes, thin boxes. And I would have to check and make sure that, that my truck was, say it was designated for, you know, the 77001 part of Texas. I would have to read as fast as I freaking could if it was going to the right place. And then I'd have to build this wall. Oh, man. About halfway through that thing, I turned into a train wreck and things started falling all over me. And... If you missed any packages between the years of 1994, 1995 from UPS, you can put it on me. My bad. Tuttle, give me some off-season jobs that you had to have when uh, you were playing ball. No, I never had to work. What are you talking about? I only. <laughs> I, I knew it. I only worked at a golf course. Uh, I was a barista. 
at a local coffee shop. I worked in property management and I worked what? at a retail store. I did everything. What? Oh, yeah. I forgot. I worked at Pacific Sun for a while too. I thought because yeah. I was a California guy, that'd be an easy, easy job. <laughs> retail, no. retail work is not easy, it's man. Terrible. So let me, I'll tell you two quick stories. Hey, I um, got a question. Yeah. How many times did you offer to take somebody's phone number or email to give them a 15% uh, off coupon or something? No, never. <laughs> no, we didn't. We didn't have to do that there. We did. Uh, so, oh, right. From my last Weddle Tuttle say, I got you now. Yeah, we didn't have to do that back then, which is great. So I worked at a, a, a ma and pa shop in the mall, which is so funny. So Casa de Fruta, you've driven up the coast before. So the Zanger family, who they have part of the central coast, it's all orchards and Zang. Um, yeah, the Zanger family. The they Wayne wanted. World? Well, they have, they had, they wanted to have a, a retail store in the mall with their dried fruits and they had chocolates and all these kind of like artisanal items like garlic knots and things like that. So I knew the family a little bit, and they're like, "Hey, we're going to open up a store at the mall," and you know, I was the assistant to the assistant manager for the off season of Casa de Fruta. And uh, I used to get on, my manager would come in, I used to get on the students that would come in. They, they were high school kids that would stack boxes and you know turn over the stuff and face the shelves. And they worked from like three to nine, you know, little six hour job or three to eight, five hour job. And I'd be like, hey, you guys aren't doing this right. You gotta do this, this, and this. And the manager called me in after a couple of weeks and she said, look, these kids are just here after school to work a couple hours. like." If you grind them, you know, for their $8 an hour job, they're not going to want to come back. And I was like, yeah, but this is my job. I got to be responsible. This is my off season. I'm getting, you know, I was making the big bucks, 15, 16 bucks an hour, you know, big bucks back then. So hey, dude, anyway, that's so I, mad money. Anyway, so I used to grind these guys and uh, my manager had to put me in my place. So that was one. But the, the barista job. So we had a family friend in our hometown that owned a coffee shop and I worked there from 5 a.m to 1 a well, 1 p.m. every day. That was one of the best jobs I ever had. And I still, as you know, we've talked about being a coffee aficionado, coffee snob. I still get my own beans, grind them, and make uh, make stuff here at the house. So it's a skill that has translated well into my later life. But yeah, I mean, I used to park carts at the golf course. I made coffees with people. Property management, I used to have to deliver uh, three-day notices to people, pay or quit, like people that didn't uh, pay their rent. That was fun, Ooh. especially in San Jose. Those people liked it, you know, get off my lawn. <laughs> I would come, you know, put the post on there and by legal, you know, legal means you had to put it there if you were going to try and collect the rent. And so, uh, you know, not the, not the best job in the world to, we had to evict a few people, you know, some single moms with kids and stuff. But, you know, when you don't pay the rent for four months, it's kind of hard to, you know, you can justify it, I guess. But, uh, anyway, so you name it, I probably did it. And, uh, the, the unfortunate thing, and people get a kick out of this, I think for the first few years of professional baseball, professional baseball where you're collecting a paycheck, I think I made more in the offseason than I made during the season. So Yeah, I would believe that. I've actually just got reminded by myself, of myself, and some of the offseason jobs <laughs> is when I was in the big leagues, my brother was in the minor leagues. So it was kind of, you know, the, the, the circle was coming back around and my brother, you know, is like, what do I do in the off season? What kind of job do I get? And I was living in LA at the time with my girlfriend, who's now my wife at the time. And she was trying to get into the acting business. She goes, why don't you guys just go be uh, extras in a, in a show or something? So I 
told my brother, I go, hey, man, let's just get some, you know, cheesy headshots and put it and send it to Central Casting. I think it was like 25 bucks to get it up on their website or whatever. I mean, within a week, we get a phone call and it's for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV show uh, with, I think, Michelle Geller. I don't I, I can't remember. Sarah Michelle Geller. Yeah, there you go. Sarah Michelle Geller. And uh, we go down there and we check in at 8 a.m. in the morning. They're like, okay, go over to this building. You guys are going to be uh, patrons at a bar during a bar scene. All right. And we go, we go sit in this auditorium for a good two, three hours. And, and keep in mind, you can only play so many games of Snake. This is back in, you know, the early 2000s. And uh, we get a call. They're like, okay, we're ready for you. We all go in there. And they're like, okay, start milling around the back. Cut go back to the auditorium. We go back for another two hours and keep in mind, there's about 70 or 80 people in this auditorium. And one of the casting people, I don't know what they're called, probably a uh, production assistant comes in and starts looking around the room and looks at me and keep in mind, there are two people in this room out of 80 who have no acting experience whatsoever. My brother and me, the production assistant looks at me and goes, you come here. You're going to be the bartender. And I went, said what and everybody is going they're looking at me going no way this guy is going to be the bartender and i go into uh i go into the costume area and they pull out a uh bright yellow schmedium uh t-shirt that says whatever the name of the bar is and i throw this thing on and i mean if i raise my hands you would have seen everything but i have this skin tight shirt on and uh, they bring me in and I'm and I'm like setting the scene. They're like tape measuring everybody with the stand ins. And they're like, you're going to be here. Uh, one of the guys, the main actors is going to come up and grab a, a bucket of peanuts from you and a beer. You know, you you hand it to him, but you don't say anything. You just kind of mouth like, hey, here you go or have a good one. And I mean, we're shooting this scene and he comes over and he does it. I hand him the beer, I hand him the nuts and I kind of mouth, you know, hey, you know, take a hike. I don't think he was paying attention to me and he takes off. And then my brother comes over to the bar and it's a bottle of water, plastic bottle of water. And I have like a dish rag in one hand and my brother comes over and knocks the bottle of beer over. <laughs> and, and if you're watching close enough, I got to find the episode. If you're watching close enough, you see, you see me go WTF. I mouth it. I go, what the, what the F? And he looks at me and his, his head pops up. So I'm like wiping it down, cleaning it up, doing my job. And I'm like, get your ass out of here. <laughs> but the whole thing was hilarious because, you know, we're mouthing this whole thing. We get done with that scene. Everything goes great. We go back in. Guess who has a scene with the ogre in that show? I think it was season five, episode 11. I'd have to double check. But I had an actual scene. I didn't get to speak, but I had to act scared. I had these two kegs and this dude like takes kegs away from me. And he's, and I had to go, ah, but dude, it is hilarious. I'll have to find that and upload it somewhere. But uh, that's my off season job talk. And I'm sorry for taking up the entire podcast. This is going way longer than I ever thought it would, but man, the off season job thing really sparked some memories for me. And uh, I, I've got to send you a clip of that or at least post it somehow because man, it is highly entertaining. Plumber, I had the same experience, which is funny. We did a video game shoot with Andrew Jones. And then it, I, the extra thing is actually, that's worse than, so, and we also did a Union Bank commercial when I played with Dave Roberts, the manager of the Dodgers in Visalia. Yeah, wow. so we, and that was the highest paying job I ever had in the off season. We actually did a commercial for Union Bank in Fresno. 
and I got paid. I had residuals wow. from that. I mean, but it was very similar. It was like they picked the whole team. They did headshots and filmed this. They're like, all right, you're going to be the guy walking over here. And I'm like, me? And they're like, yeah, you. And I'm like, they must like tall, spiky-haired blonde guys. I don't know how it worked. But anyway, I got really lucky. But it, not to just, like you said, the podcast has gone over. I can tell that as a Tales from the Bench thing. But that was that was that well, that job was the worst like you said sitting around it's like jury duty you know you're like hey i'm an extra i'm getting paid <laughs> it is man and you're sitting in this room waiting to get called and you're like great and then all right action 30 seconds later cut you know it's like what? anyway just weird yeah experience. no it's it's literally eight hours eight hours of work eight hours of sitting around for eight minutes of work is what it was. So being extra is, is for the birds, but man, that, that was a highly entertaining day. And we actually got a call back on that. And my brother and I were like, yeah, we're good. Cause I think we ended up making clearing like 86 bucks <laughs> for eight hours of work. It was brutal, but uh, yeah, th that would actually make for a highly entertaining tales from the bench to have, uh, have those conversations and really get into detail and some of that stuff, because it was kind of funny and mystifying to me to actually see that's how it's actually done behind the scenes. You missed your calling, but, you, uh, could have, you could have been famous. <laughs> you oh calling. man. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Cause that, that has definitely passed me by. I think I was 24, 25 at the time, much, much leaner, much, uh, much healthier. But those days are long gone unless they're looking for some old, retired, washed up, bitter old ball player. Then I can play that role. Um, but that's going to do it for our podcast. This was a lot of fun. This, I mean, for, for a couple of guys who try and have a scripted out type situation, I think we got a little off topic and a little off tangent and had some fun with it. So I appreciate the heck out of you, David Tuttle, for doing what you do. Uh, is there any way you want to finish this thing off uh, as far as having it? I had a blast. I thought this was awesome. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, I, I, let's hope we can uh, hang on to some of those listeners that, that said that they're not going to be able to tune in for about two and a half, three months until we get back. Uh, let's hope that they can uh, download or subscribe and, uh, and stay with us because I think the off season is going to be a lot of fun. And based on today, we're going to have a lot of fun. And let me just start out by thanking the military first responders. Uh, Monday is going to be Veterans Day. I don't think we'll report a, record a podcast before then. But uh, again, we consistently are grateful and thankful and want you to know that we're thinking about you, but especially on this Veterans Day, as we do with Memorial Day and Veterans Day, a, a big shout out to all the veterans that uh, put their life and limb on the line for uh, for all of us to live uh, in this great country and and to be able to do this podcast. So Blummer, I'm looking forward to a great off season. We're going to bring some different dynamics to this podcast. and. Uh, had a good time. It was a blast. And you're right. Veterans Day coming up. We appreciate all those first responders. We appreciate all military. Everything you do for us to create the freedom that, which we enjoy and are able to celebrate, we will do the best we can to acknowledge you and tell you that we appreciate you. We are done. It has been a heck of a bleacher blums. It's been a little more of a hangout session. And make sure you stay tuned. And like Tuttle said, rate, subscribe, review, do whatever it takes to spread the word because we will be getting back into some of that Astro talk in the upcoming podcast because free agency is looming. We're going to tell you what a qualifying offer means. We're going to give you an idea of who we think the Astros might try and go out and get. And there's also some postseason awards that the Astros might go out and get a clean sweep of because they've got plenty of guys nominated. So we appreciate you all. It's been great up here in the bleachers. We want to remind you, have a great weekend and get after it. But most of all, believe it.
We almost made it through the whole thing without the A word. You just dropped it. Boom. 